There is huge news as the PWHPA is reported to have purchased the PHF rocking the women's pro hockey world. We're going to break down what we know, what questions remain, and how it's affecting players and staff of both organizations on this special edition of the Locked On NHL podcast, Women's Hockey Spotlight. Your Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to this special edition of Locked On NHL for Friday, June 30th. I am Rachel Donner from Locked On Flyers. I'm on Twitter at rmiriam. I'm joined by our women's spotlight fearless leader, Erica Ayala of Locked On Kraken. She's on Twitter at elindsay08. Thanks for making Locked On NHL your first listen every day. You can subscribe or follow the show for free over on YouTube or on SiriusXM. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you'll get our latest episode as soon as it's available here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A championship team is about each player being a perfect fit, and the same is true about your vehicle. So for parts that fit, head to eBay Motors and look for that green check. Stay in the game with eBay Guaranteed Fit ebaymotors.com let's ride ebay guaranteed fit only available to us customers eligible items only exclusions apply all right erica uh we've got so much big news to talk about and things are not in set in stone right now everything is fluid but you know the big thirty thousand foot picture is that the uh, Premier Hockey Federation, formerly the NWHL, has reportedly been purchased by Billie Jean King Enterprises and the Mark Walter Group, who owns the LA Dodgers and the WNBA LA Sparks. Um, and so it, essentially the PHF would be no more and a new league will be forming. Uh, what are you hearing? What's, what's the latest with this big story? Yeah, it certainly is a big story. As you mentioned, it's very fluid, lots of moving parts. But I mean, really, the, the, the basics that you've laid out is, is what we've been hearing. These are reports. As of Friday today, when we're recording Locked on NHL, our women's hockey spotlight, we have not heard from the PWHPA, which will uh, effectively become the, uh, the union of the new league that was happening even before this uh, purchase or um, acquisition. And uh, we have also not heard from the Premier Hockey Federation. That being said, I did reach out to the PHF, and I understand that they are expecting to make an announcement that could happen as soon as today, again, Friday. However, there is no ETA on that right now. Um, when that announcement is made, Re Reagan Carey, who is acting as the commissioner of the Premier Hockey Federation, will be available. Um, but uh, we're looking at reporting from, I mean, all over the place, really, including from Haley Salvian, who is the only dedicated reporter to women's ice hockey at The Athletic. Um, and she's 
saying that the PHF will cease all operations. So that's what we know, Rachel. I've done a little bit of digging and was able to speak with Madison Packer, who has been with this league since its inception, has been with the Riveters since its inception. Uh, we actually were slated to have a few conversations with Riveters as part of the Women's Hockey Spotlight. But of course, now this is why we're doing this bonus episode, because there's just so many moving parts. So that th- that's kind of what we know. I can definitely give you the perspective of Madison Packer, but we're still really, Rachel, waiting for a lot of information. Yeah, there's been a lot of reports out there in terms of, you know, exactly how it went down, um, how players were notified, what's going on with PHF player contracts and and all of that. And the latest reporting that's out there, um, again, none of this is confirmed uh, by either league at this point. But from what we understand, the PHF player contracts have been voided, uh, some of which, you know, there were huge contracts out there. We talked about livable wages for a lot of these players, um, players who had made commitments to PHF teams. And um, it is also out there that uh, the PHF players will receive some sort of severance and healthcare benefits extended to them at this point. But um, but that the PHF will effectively be no more. Yeah, and that's difficult uh, to hear. It's going back to 2019, right before Women's World Championships all over again. And then before that, the old NWHL uh, and and time and time again. And again, I did speak with Madison Packer. She has been a player who, although has played in the Premier Hockey Federation, remembers very intimately the, the salary cuts in season two of, at the time, what was the National Women's Hockey League. As I said, she's been with the Riveters through and through was expected to return to the Riveters. Again, she and I had a conversation earlier this week. uh, I believe it was on Tuesday uh, that we spoke about the upcoming season and then had a conversation this morning on Friday where she admitted that she does not know if she will be playing next season. And that's a difficult pill to swallow. But what Madison Packer also told me is that she also doesn't know. Uh, there was an update. She did not go into any details there. Um, and, and it does, again, we don't have any, any details, but she, she does, she did confirm, excuse me, that there was a conversation with the player players and the PHF, what that means for contracts, what that means as far as even the number of teams, there's been speculation on that end. Um, you know, Madison Packer said she's been hearing different things, but none of that has been conveyed and certainly was not conveyed to me in our conversation um, this morning. So it, it, but what I did get, I should say from Madison Packer is that there's a sting that is very prominent and exists and for Madison, and I got the sense that she felt as a captain and as someone who's been in the league for a while, she wanted to anchor a little bit of the conversation in eventually what will come. And as I mentioned, Madison Packer has been a person who believes that there should be just one league. I have not always felt that way. Um, I'm still not sure if I think that's the only way to have successful women's ice hockey. But it seems that it's gotten to a point, at least from Madison's perspective and why she put out a, a Twitter statement that she did, that it's time to um, to come together and utilize the resources um, that are. And, you know, I, I think, Rachel, you and I know this, but we've also talked probably briefly in passing on the Women's Hockey Spotlight here on Locked on NHL that at minimum, 
there was a feeling that the PWHPA, which again is moving to becoming the union of whatever their league is upcoming, which now has essentially acquired the PHF from reports and the Premier Hockey Federation, that there was contention. Um, that there was a lot on the line, depending on whether you are a national team player, whether you're coming out of the NCAA system and where you're going to sign with the PWHPA or where you're going to sign with the PHF. And I've deduced from some of the things that Madison was saying that she feels now is the right time to put that to bed for good. The way to do that is to be in one league. And I get the sense, and it's been reported in the past, that this, whether it's real or not, the perception of a rift has created business and financial problems for women's hockey. Yeah, that's a, a really good point about the perception versus the reality of, of what's going on behind the scenes. And um, I should just say for full disclosure that I was part of the National Women's Hockey League and its inaugural season and uh, ran operations for two of the teams, uh, just just to make that clear. But I have not been part of the league since the second season. So um, I, I don't have familiarity with what's going on behind the scenes now, and especially since the PHF rebound brand that took place for that league. But, you know, this is part of this um, greater picture of leagues um, coming up and folding and different players making different choices. Of course, we went through this with the CWHL, right? And so I think that there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of anger, you know, and I think that there's some similar themes that have recurred um, with players, especially this batch of players that I would call the veteran elite players right now, they have been through this three or four times now mm -hmm. and have not gotten a league that is something that they deserve, that is to their satisfaction. And, and could this be, you know, we keep saying, is this finally the time? Is this finally the time? Could this actually finally be the time? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. And I think that's the hope, again, at least in speaking with Madison Packer, has been a captain of the Metropolitan Riveters for a number of years now as an inaugural member of the National Women's Hockey League that you mentioned. And uh, again, I think it's been documented, but just in a full disclosure to to put a, a, a point on it, I, I have been a broadcaster for that league and a, a journalist for that league since the beginning. Um, and I, I don't know, Rachel, I think I, I am taking the approach of really just waiting to see. And we've talked about this when it came to the PWHPA in particular, but also when it comes to the PHF and things. And I feel like perhaps on the last time that you and I were talking alongside Gil, we were talking about more money, more problems, right? There's all of the, these, these big contracts and that creates um, a, a different, the game is different. It, it has impacted how teams like the Riveters approach practices. It has um, changed the approach of expectations from ownership that you are now playing for contracts. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with someone again, who we were looking to spotlight on the women's hockey spotlight. And we were having a conversation about when you up the ante of the investment, you have to up the ante of the business and professionalism. And I think we can say that and hold space for that this is newer to women's hockey, the investment, the dollar amount, and this kind of merger and acquisition. And I think we can hold space for that there are a lot of questions as to how this got done, why it was done the way it 
was done and what are the implications not just for phf players but for pwhpa players who at the time are working on a cba and a union but who are they negotiating with i mean there's an ownership group obviously that absolved the phf but in the absence of there's not cities for these teams yet. There's not, uh, um, uh, there've been reports that team names might change. Uh, you know, is the ownership group uh, going to own all of those teams and then take us back to what we had when the NWHL started right. and when the CWHL started, which became a little bit of a problem as the PHF started moving. And then that's another question. At some point in time, the, the PHF ownership would have had to sign off if the reporting is accurate that this is an acquisition, right? This is not a merger of sorts. And even either way, if it's a merger, if it's an acquisition, if it's an absolution, either way, the board of governors of the Premier Hockey Federation would have had to sign off on this. So what the future looks like, is this going to benefit the players? I definitely have some hypotheticals that we can throw out there. You're right. I have, I definitely have clarifying questions, Rachel, that I think we should discuss. Yeah, and we are going to do all of that, or at least try to, the best we can, uh, coming up next. Yeah, but first, let me tell you about Athletic Greens. Now, if you listen to Locked on Kraken, you know I'm all about my morning routine. And so Athletic Greens is something that I use every day as a part of my morning routine. The reason I like it is because I can take eight ounces of water one scoop of AG greens, and I am getting 75 just amazing high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start my day off right. The special blend of ingredients, they help to support gut health, your nervous system, kind of need that with this news, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. And it can be hard to stay healthy. It gets expensive. You need all of these different supplements and things. AG Greens makes it super simple. And, you know, for the cost of less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health and it's cheaper than that cold brew habit that perhaps you have. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. And you can sign up to get your supply of AG1, and it will come with a one-year free supply of vitamin D and the AG1 travel packs, which I absolutely love, Rachel. Those are my favorite. You'll get that, again, one-year supply of vitamin D and the five travel packs with your first order. Just go to drinkag1.com backslash NHL Network. Again, that's drinkag1.com backslash NHL Network. Check it out. All right. Uh, while we are talking about women's pro hockey here, check out over on the regular Locked On NHL Friday show, Gil and I discuss free agency opening up this weekend. So much going on in the world of hockey. And, you know, getting back into this women's hockey conversation, you mentioned the labor issues at hand. And so, I think it would be helpful to give some context in terms of what the PHF contracts were looking like and what this PWHPA union formation process was looking like. Yes. And again, some of this is going off of reporting. Ian Kennedy has actually done a really good job as of late talking about the contracts and, um, you know, getting information. Uh, so go check out the hockey news for that. But I can tell you, this is what we know. We know that the, the PHF, the Premier Hockey Federation, which uh, has, as we said earlier, um, been acquired by uh, what will be uh, the league coming um, and associated with the PWHPA. We know that they had multi-year contracts. We also 
um, have heard reports that there were certain agents, and we've talked about this, there are more hockey, women's hockey agents in the field now that the, again, more money, more problems, air quotes. Um, but as the money has come in, more players have gotten agents. And we've heard from these agents that it, a lot of agents have been combing through these contracts for things and language such as at will, which uh, really just gives an entity like the Premier Hockey Federation the uh, opportunity to terminate that contract at will or whenever they want for whatever reason. I think another thing that we've been hearing, Rachel, and again, the, the reporting it, it has been a little bit all over the place, but we have heard that also there have been non-compete clauses throughout the history of we're going back to the NWHL uh, at times, um, you know, conversations perhaps with the PWHPA with that. So what the actual contracts look like is a little bit fuzzy, if I'm being honest. Um, but what we do know is that there was something called the the PHF Players Association, uh, a, really a collective and a group working for the interest of the PHF. But we've talked here on the uh, Women's Hockey Spotlight before that that wasn't a union. And as the salary increased, there were no protections guaranteed. Now, a lot of players um, up until the news were able to renegotiate their contracts, but there was no guarantee that once the salary cap increased, that again, those multi-year, mostly two-year contracts would increase, um, you know, respective to the salary cap increase of $1.5 million per team at the time. Um, so, so that was a little bit funky. And we were already kind of talking about that on the PHF side, on the PWHPA side, there was conversation about, well, we didn't know the, the salary or really more stipends that the PWHPA PA players had for the showcase style or barnstorming style. There was never any disclosure. And I was one of those players that asked um, secret, secret deodorant um, or one of the reporters, excuse me, that asked the players and secret deodorant and the PWHPA what that salary is, but they never disclosed that. So we didn't really know what PWHPA players were getting paid. There had right. Right. There had also been reporting that um, perhaps, um, you know, some of that stipend was contingent, perhaps on the forthcoming league. So, again, a little bit fuzzy, a little bit hazy. So I'm going to just go with clarifying questions for the remainder of this, because I think from a labor issue, there are some clarifying questions. So the yeah, I should say that Jeff Merrick is reporting that PWHP members are going to vote on their CBA on yes. Sunday and yes. PHF play are not going to be part of that process because they are not part of that organization. Yes. Thank you, Rachel, for that. Cause I was just getting to that. Yes, you're right. That is, that's the reporting that we've heard. So uh, again, just to recap that Jeff Merrick, one of the people who has been uh, reporting about this and what does that mean? So let's break down what that means. Yes, the PWHPA was already working on a collective bargaining agreement, shorthand CBA. Um, we knew that. We also knew, obviously, the PHF and the PWHPA up until yesterday, at least, we were two separate entities. Now, the interesting thing is if the reporting of the acquisition is correct, then while the PHF is in existence, which perhaps it isn't now or certainly won't be soon. Um, that means that any players, so now they are uh, without allegiance, let's say, any hockey players that then play under this new 
CBA, they will be beholden to something that they are not actively participants in. And I can kind of see it both ways. If we know that this acquisition is happening, what is the rush perhaps in the PWHPA, which will eventually become the union in kind of pushing forward certain things? If they know that there's going to be an influx of players, some who are in an organized and structured league, what is, what, why is the timeline kind of this weekend, which also happens to be a holiday weekend twice over at least um, in North America. So I think that there, there should be some questioning regarding the timing. Now, as far as the, I mean, I don't know what word we want to use, but is it is it within their rights? Absolutely. They've been moving towards creating a union outside of this merger. Is it in their best interest? I'm not to say. I'm not a player in any, in either of these leagues. No, none of us. Well, neither of us are. <laughs> yeah, or just in general. I'm not a player. But as someone who does cover women's hockey and has covered women's hockey, I, again, do just wonder about the timing. I think also it's, it's worth noting, Rachel, that there have been reports, and I think maybe I alluded to this earlier, but that agents were working with PHF players and perhaps wanting to take um, movement to strike, whether you want to use that term, but really contest that at will clause. And that was that that's been reported since this acquisition news has broken. And so I think it's worth asking um, if we had PWHPA players and PHF players able to sit at a table and compare notes, would we get the same type of CBA that we would if it's only one or the other, as opposed to both of them. And I think that's a valid question to ask women's hockey for all the reasons that we've already mentioned, right? We want to see, and I know Madison Packer in my conversation with her, she wants to see the best version of women's ice hockey. But as someone who also covers the WNBA, which is often used as a comparative point, I think you're seeing now that the WNBA didn't have autonomy, not the players and not even the staff of the league. They, that was truly under the NBA umbrella. We're starting to slowly see that shift as we're in, I believe, season 28 of the WNBA, but it's taken time for the WNBA to really, and its players association, its union, to really have a stronghold on some of the things that they are beholden to, such as revenue and the revenue splits, such as travel, which has become huge and a big point of contention, such yes. as salary. Guaranteed travel and being able to get to the games when they need to, right. not having to fly commercials sometimes. All exactly. And salaries, especially for your elite level players. And just like in every other sport, you have players that are Olympians. Well, I guess maybe not the NHL so much anymore, but you have Olympians and other top tier players, whether they are Olympians from the United States and Canada or from around the world. I mean, we've seen the influx of talent just had the NHL draft and where are the top prospects coming from? Not just North America. And, you know, how do you then create a pay scale where you are compensating elite level athletes and they want to play in this league while also having enough athletes to field six or more competitive teams. And that means that it's not just going to be the what 25 rosters from the United States, Canada, maybe you throw in Finland. That's not enough to, to, right. to have a league and not to mention that before this news, you had seven teams in the PHF and I guess about five or six loosely fitting teams in the PWHPA. Um, 
you know, I guess maybe they dwindled down to about six. But anyway, you know, now where where do we fall in that spectrum? Are we going to be at that 11, 12 mark? Are we cutting that in half to about six? Is it going to be less than six? Is it going to be more than 12? You know, what does this look like? We just really don't know. And so as the union comes, I think it's a great thing that the union is coming, that that's in the works. I just do think there are questions regarding timing as far as what's available now versus what's the best version of a CBA that also has been reported will last for eight years. If you're going to have an eight year CBA, I would hope that you have more than a holiday weekend to confirm things. And my hope is that even if it is the holiday weekend, even if they do um, vote on this CBA, I really hope that they were not given this CBA within the last handful of days and that they've been have, they've had representation to work with them to look this over because locking into a CBA while this groundbreaking news is happening over a holiday weekend and it potentially being eight years and not having adequate time to look over it doesn't seem like the best recipe for success right. from a player perspective. Yeah. And the biggest question for me is if you have the PWHPA players as the the party that is negotiating this CBA from a player perspective, that is made more largely, not entirely, let's be clear, but largely of these elite level players on the national teams and those needs are being prioritized in this negotiation. What does that leave players that are not on their national teams? But you bring up a lot of really good questions about the future and what that could look like with number of teams. And we're going to get to that coming up next. All right, Erica. So going back to the conversation about the consolidation of teams and cities and what that could could look like, uh, there's been reports of, you know, potentially the league going down to six teams and that no city is guaranteed that was pre-existing in the PHF and that it, it could potentially be three Canadian teams and three American teams and that, you know, mainstays of women's pro hockey uh, could potentially be gone from Boston, which mm. just sounds unfathomable to me. Yeah, when I think of Boston, the first name that comes to mind is Jillian Dempsey. Similarly to Madison Packer, a founder of this league, has been with the Boston Pride all eight seasons, and as far as we knew, um, was planning to return and really end her career with the Boston Pride. Um, you know, is a school teacher by profession and just a lover of hockey <laughs> throughout her life. And I find it really hard pressed to, to think of a player like Jillian Dempsey, who, I mean, respectfully to Madison Packer. And I think she would maybe agree with me, hopefully agree with me is, is like, air quotes less controversial in that Madison Packer is a little bit she she brings some sandpaper with her right in how she plays her game she absolutely does and how she plays her game and how she um even conveys you know her support for for you know how she sees women's hockey I mean I personally as I mentioned don't agree with her on the one league she's not the only one that says that but just as an example but Jillian Dempsey has always put her head down um, works super hard on the ice, has elevated her game every season, sometimes shift to shift. And it, I find it hard to believe 
that someone is going to say that Jillian Dempsey hasn't made an impact on women's hockey and that she's not valuable to whatever the future of women's hockey looks like. Now, we know we talk about the NHL, you and I, every day, Monday through Friday on the Locked On Podcast Network um, between the NHL show, which we're on right now, and the Flyer show for you and the Kraken show for me. We talk all the time about top six you know, we talk about role players. We talk about, you know, diamonds in the rough found on on the waiver wire. There's not really an ecosystem like that for women's hockey. And that worries me a little bit because players like Jillian Dempsey, I, I think, would make a really strong case on, on, a, on a team. And, I mean, the homegrown discount for Boston is massive. So not only are we hearing that – potentially players like a Jillian Dempsey could be, and I'm, I'm using Jillian Dempsey as an example, I should say, cause I don't want to say I'm speculating about Jillian Dempsey. I'm using her as a prototype of a player that is a dynamic player in a professional league, but is not on a national team. Just to, to clarify, I have no inside information about Jillian Dempsey and her contract, but she's a hardworking, very talented three time Isabel cup champion. And the, the, and a player now that has to fit into whatever the future of women's hockey looks like. Um, also, the idea that, again, a Jillian Dempsey, who is a professional teacher, would have to, if the reporting is true, that the Boston Pride, a three-time Isabel Cup champion, that's how that's how Dylan Dempsey has three rings. The fact that there might not be a team there. I've heard people maybe say that, Oh, it's an oversaturation in the market um, in the women's hockey market, being that there's so many colleges and universities there. The thing about big cities <laughs> is that we're kind Those of Those games sell out. Yeah. Every time. Every yeah. time. I mean, people are going to figure it out. We, we, yeah, it's a, it's a good problem to have. Ooh, do I go to a women's Harvard women's uh, Harvard? Well, maybe not the best example, but do I go to a women's Harvard hockey game or do I go to a Boston pride game? Do I go see Northeastern um, or, you know, does the Boston pride uh, become my favorite team because I wasn't a, a, you know, a Northeastern fan and now I want to follow Alina Mueller. Like these are all things that I think help build sports, whether we're talking women's sports or men's sports overall. But again, not my forte. I did not go to business school uh, when it comes to what a, a good market for women's hockey looks like. So hopefully there are some people, if there is a special degree that you can get, hopefully the people who have that degree are making these decisions. But it just sounds like a really interesting choice to not have Boston as a part of the future. But those are just reports. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. some of what we're hearing. Uh, we're also hearing that perhaps Buffalo and Connecticut are on the chopping block as well. I think that those, if we're being honest, the from the fan base perspective, which which we alluded to a little bit, um, maybe that makes more sense. But to your point, Boston has sold out. I do think it's worth noting that it's a questionable, I thought it was a questionable decision at the time. And I don't know where this fits in, but I do want to note that we did see the PHF make a really odd choice, I thought, in having the Riveters play at a at a mall. And while the players said that the player experience from their locker room and having a dedicated locker room where they can keep their things completely understand that we want to support that. But from a monetary, from a business perspective, Rachel, having 
where it was weird. Used, it was weird. You used to <laughs> be able to fill weird. out, and then now it, it was just a very odd decision. And it seemed as though perhaps, at least for that team, the business model was not to generate revenue through ticket sales. So I'm very curious now moving forward. I do hope, and I've gone on the record saying this before, but you kind of need ticket sales. You kind of need fans um, to buy things to have a successful business, sports business. It's not the only thing. But you kind of need, I think that's still important, attendance, uh, revenue through merchandise. Those are those are important metrics, and they are definitely metrics that are understandable um, and are pretty straightforward to track. Yeah, I think, you know, the upshot of, of a lot of this is that the this new ownership group that's managing the league is on the clock. Yeah. And on they the clock, I like it. <laughs> it. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about the draft, but also thinking, you know, they have to solidify what these markets are going to be by like November, December at the right. latest in order to figure out who these teams are going to be, have tryouts, establish potentially new brands by January. I, I, I just, which has been reported. Yeah. Just to clear yeah, that up. Yeah. That I, I just find given the history of what we know about women's hockey, I find that uh, doubtful, I would say at best. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's really a, a good place for us to kind of end the conversation, at least for now, Rachel, yeah. because there's just so much that we don't know, but I think you're absolutely right. That is a, a aggressively ambitious timeline. Mm -hmm. um, especially if the acquisition is also going to be a stripped down of certain things, such as, as it has been reported, not confirmed that things like the, the markets might change uh, and the things like the names might change. Um, but then I guess that also potentially brings into the timeline. How much did the decision makers of this acquisition have to think this up versus what's the timeline that we're seeing public now, Absolutely. including the players? And so maybe that's really the big question that we'll have to start teasing out. Yeah, well, we will certainly, you know, keep covering this story and uh, perhaps have additional women's hockey spotlight episodes to follow up moving forward. Uh, Erica, thank you so much for joining for this extended edition of the women's hockey spotlight. And there will be more to come. Oh, for sure, Rachel. We'll be keeping up with this along with, uh, well, I guess, as you mentioned earlier, all of hockey now in free agency. So what a time. <laughs> <laughs> what a time indeed. All right. Have a wonderful holiday weekend, everybody.